From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While their respective roads weren't easy, both softball and baseball have reached destinations that seemed incredibly unlikely just a few weeks ago. For softball, it's making it to the Women's College World Series despite an eighth-place finish in the SEC. And for baseball, it's a berth in the NCAA tournament after a sub-500 conference record. On today's show, we'll discuss the nail-biting drama of softball Super Regionals and the challenges awaiting the Gators, Baseball's clean slate in Lubbock, Andrew Nemhard's big decision, basketball's latest scheduling news, and the most annoying dynasties in sports with FloridaGators.com's senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Plus, fresh off a Herculean effort that propelled softball back to Oklahoma City, we'll chat with senior ace Kelly Barnhill about the challenges ahead while also reflecting back on her career. But first, softball battled both record temperatures and a pesky Tennessee squad that just wouldn't go away over the weekend, with the final two games of the series stretching to extra innings. But the Gators prevailed, and as we opened up this week's roundtable, Chris laid out how they pulled it off, starting with Kelly Barnhill. I mean, what she did uh, over those three days, and I know softball, and, and you can ride a pitcher for a while, but I remember talking to 23rd and 3rd innings. I mean, every out that was recorded by, by Florida was recorded by Kelly Barnhill over that three-game series. I mean, being there uh, Saturday night and having her lose a game in the in the ninth inning, having her, having her getting pulled and having Tim Walton say, when you're calling rise balls and they're bouncing in the dirt, that's when you know she's spent. So what, what are you thinking about heading into Sunday? Uh, you think, well, how much does she have left? I mean, he used the term gassed. Um, and yet he also said from the moment he, he got out of his chair at the post-game press conference after game two, he knew Kelly Barnhill was going to start game three. Hmm. But I, I can't imagine that he knew that she was going to pitch a, an eight-inning complete game, a four-hitter. Yeah, she gave up a gopher ball in, the, in, a, in a clutch situation to tie the game in the seventh inning. But uh, she buckled down after that, got six straight outs, and then set up, obviously, the, uh, the word you use, drama. Bottom of the eighth inning, Amanda Lorenz, who else uh, manages to get on base for this team, probably reaches for an outside pitch and slashes a double down the left field line, works herself to third base after a ground out. And then uh, Jamie Hoover, who was – I mean, she really, really struggled in her three previous at-bats. She was just totally fooled on the change-up pitching from um, UT starter Ashley Rogers. But she uh, delivered a, just a barreled up a line drive to left. Uh, Amanda Lorenz scored. Final score, of course, 2-1. Amanda Lorenz scores both runs, including the, the walk-off run on that Jamie Hoover hit. And here the Gators are back in uh, Oklahoma City for the third straight year and the 10th time in the last 12 years. And as Tim Walton said, maybe it was appropriate to watch Amanda Lorenz circle the bases uh, her last time up at uh, Presley Stadium and score the run to send the Gators uh, back to Oklahoma City. Good stuff. And it's always, obviously, the goal to get to Oklahoma City, and then you sort of see what happens from there. Uh, certainly wouldn't expect the Gators are a favorite by any stretch when you look at the teams that are out there, especially the Oklahomas of the world uh, and you know Florida's numbers and some of their offensive struggles. But as we've seen in the past, Chris, once you get to Oklahoma City, 
weird things can happen. So the key is putting yourself in position to let those things happen. And, you know, talking about those matchups, who knows how it'll go. That's right. And Billy Donovan used to say, you can't win it unless you're in it. And so uh, they're here. Uh, that's the step in the right direction. Um, I mean, uh, Tim Walton says every year, the season's a success if your last game is played in Oklahoma City. And he's absolutely right. Now, um, in order to succeed here, um, first things first, I mean, you got to win the first game. You got you to avoid the losers bracket. Gators managed that last year and, and yet lost uh, lost their next two games. But I think um, the, really the Death Star kind of thing that's that is hovering over this place is the Oklahoma Sooners. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you just kind of go down and look at kind of their statistics and what have you. I mean, uh, can you do any better than leading the nation in batting average, home runs, ERA, and fielding percentage? Wow. They have a Arizona State transfer by the name of Giselle Juarez. She's 27-1, and one, uh, 1.15 ERA, 218 strikeouts, 29 walks. Uh, Sydney Romero, who is, Oklahoma's been here four years in a row, five years in a row. She's like a fixture here. She probably has an apartment down over there at, <laughs> at Hall of Fame Stadium. She's in the running, obviously, for a national player of the year. She's hitting 429. Wow. 18 homers, slugging at 837. They just got a bunch of, I mean, they got they got someone else, Kaylee Clifton, who's second baseman. Who's got, she's hitting 414, 16 homers, 897 slugging. It's just one after another. And Oklahoma is far and away the, the favorite. They won. 41 straight games, which is an NCAA record. They did lose to Wisconsin in their regional, which was something of a surprise or, or more than a surprise, obviously. But they're here. They're an hour away or less than an hour away. Uh, Oklahoma State is here, and their coach is Kenny Gajewski, who was uh, Tim Walton's um, wingman at Florida from 2012 to 2015, won a couple national championships here. Florida is facing Oklahoma State which is the only team uh, that went on the road in the Super Region and punched a ticket. Um, they're 60 miles away. Oklahoma is, what, 30 miles away. There'll be a lot of uh, fanfare here. Not only that, I don't know if you know this, but you're familiar with the minor league baseball stadium downtown. Well, the Oklahoma State is going to play its NSA baseball regional there over this weekend. So there's going to be quite a lot of activity in and around Bricktown and obviously in, uh, in Oklahoma City this weekend. So Florida versus Oklahoma State. Thursday night, uh, 7 o'clock on ESPN2. I would think Florida has a, a pretty good chance to advance through that first game. I mean, Kelly Barnett will be in the circle. Uh, she will not have pitched in four days, so that will be, be a good thing for her. So fresh Kelly Barnhill. Um, Florida's going to have to hit the ball, obviously. You mentioned their, their, their struggles hitting, and let's do a quick deep dive into that because Lord knows I have. Um, <laughs> get this, Adam. Of the eight teams remaining, Oklahoma, UCLA, Arizona, Alabama are all finished in the top 13 in, in runs per game. Those four teams right there average over six runs a game. Uh, Oklahoma State, Washington, and Minnesota average just below six runs a game. Minnesota was 37th in the country in runs per game at 5.48. Florida checks in at 116th. Wow. At 4.63 runs per game. That's a huge discrepancy. That's what you're talking about, almost two runs per game over the top four teams here. But then again, uh, having said all that, you have Kelly Barnhill, who, who's the equalizer that Tim Walton's counting on, plus a defense that tied Oklahoma for the best fielding percentage in the country. So he's always been a pitching defense guy. That's what he wants. Um, he would love to have some bigger bats. Uh, he would love to have some help for uh, Amanda Lorenz, who 
um, happens to be the, the fourth best hitter here at batting 419 and has a chance to, uh, to leave Florida as the only player in school history to hit 400 for a career. But it's fitting that she was the one who got the Gators back here. She's the best offensive player on Florida. She's going to have to come up big here, as is people, as are people like Kendall Lindemann, uh, Hannah Adams, who has a very, very hot bat uh, in the postseason. But they're going to have to get some um, some cameo uh, appearances from some people on down the lineup who uh, who've really struggled at that. Whether that's Sophia Reynoso, whether that's Hannah Sipos, whether that's Jordan Roberts, uh, maybe Jordan Matthews, uh, off, you know, pinch hitting. Some other players are going to have to uh, come in and do something and. Uh, uh, get the offense going but Gators are in Oklahoma City and six times six times in seven years and um, like you said once you get here anything can happen there's so many storylines as well before we move on from this you know obviously Florida Oklahoma State is Tim Walton against his one of his best friends and his former assistant Kenny Gajewski the next matchup will be no matter what Florida's next game after that would be against either Alabama or or Oklahoma, where Jen Rocha, Tim Walton's longtime pitching coach, is now, and the woman who shaped Kelly Barnhill. Uh, there's always storylines abounding, so certainly no shortage of them there. And and hopefully we'll be able to talk about some of the positive results of those next week. How about this one? Who's the grad assistant for uh, Jen Rocha at uh, Oklahoma? That would be Delaney Gorley. Oh, wow. There's some, there's some other storylines around here. So it'll, it'll be interesting seeing uh, um uh, Delaney Gorley in a in an in a Oklahoma uh, uniform. So softball has made it to their uh, their final destination. Baseball has made it to a destination, not the one that maybe people would have picked at the beginning of the year. But hey, they're in the tournament. They're in Lubbock, Texas. And Scott, it wasn't an easy trip uh, actually getting there through the season or physically getting there on Wednesday. But they're there, and that's what matters. They are. They arrived on Wednesday, and you know they played Dallas Baptist on Friday night in the uh, Lubbock Regional. You know, it's it kind of we're on the bubble this year, which is very rare for this program. I mean, Kevin O'Sullivan's 12 years, uh, you know, the Gators have been a, a consistent NCAA tournament team, obviously won the national title two years ago. But this has been an unusual year in that it's a young team, one of his youngest. Uh, the lineup's been fine, but the pitching just hasn't been uh, what the program has produced over the recent years. And that's because it's a very young staff, a lot of freshmen. And it, it looked that way during the season, but they got here by having to go out to Missouri to close the regular season, needing to win. And they, they swept that series. They went to the SEC tournament. You still didn't know where they were, if they were going to get in or not, but they played Texas A&M. It was an entertaining game back and forth, extra things, but they, they lost and then they had to wait. Uh, so it's been it's been a weird journey uh, right up until the end. But after about, what, six days uh, the, of waiting on Monday afternoon, they got word that they were in the tournament. And, uh, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan talking to him uh, earlier this week. He said, you know, there wasn't a lot of emotion in the room. They, they felt that they had done enough at the end of the uh, regular season with that three game sweep at Missouri uh, to get in. Uh, and then they uh, went to the SEC tournament had a short stay, so they had just came home and uh, returned to practice after a couple of days off and kind of prepared for getting that uh, word that they were in. And, and they got assigned to Lubbock, so it's another rare occurrence. Uh, first time since 2013, Adam, the Gators are opening the NCAA tournament away from McKeithen Stadium, but if they can get the similar kind of pitching that they got in that final three-game series at Missouri, then anything can happen. Well, and that's the beauty of being in the tournament is once you're there, as we talked about with softball, 
you know, it's, it's anything goes. And one thing Kevin O'Sullivan said, I think, throughout the last few weeks, which I don't think anybody would doubt, is that they're not the kind of three seed that anybody wants to see come into their place because obviously the talent is there. And if they put things together at the right time, they, they're capable of beating pretty much anybody. Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of talent on the roster. I mean, their lineup has been really better than I expected this year in terms of some of the young players. Judd Fabian, the, the center fielder, Brady McCullough has had a great season at the plate at shortstop. Uh, Corey Acton and Kendrick Callalau have both been uh, first-year players who have produced. Uh, but it, it really goes back to the pitching, and that, that starts with Tommy Mace in the first game against the uh, Dallas Baptist. And then if they were to – well, they're going to play a second game regardless, and you're looking at Jack Leftwich. And if they get past that stage, uh, Nick Pogue is a, a freshman who has really come on uh, late in the season. He's had three quality starts in a row. And Kevin O'Sullivan has really liked what he's added behind Mason Leftwich at the top of the rotation. And Mason Leftwich uh, have both been up and down. They, You can tell they're young pitchers. They suffered some growing pains. But Mace uh, put together a solid start at Missouri to set the tone that weekend, and then Leftwich followed up with his best outing in a Gators uniform, pitched a uh, a two hit shutout, and then Poe came back on the third game and and had another. I think he pitched five and a third shutout innings, so it was by far their most complete consecutive starts during the season since early in the season, uh, certainly in the SEC season, and that's what got them here, and it's what's going to keep them here. If, if they are to stay around in the tournament because uh, Florida's starting pitching has been so good for so long, and that's carried them deep in a lot of these postseasons, Adam. And, and again, if those guys can pitch the way they did in Missouri, then anything can happen. If they struggle like they did through the course of the season, well, then it could be a short stay. We haven't talked a lot of basketball lately, but there is some news trickling out, the first of which is going to be uh, music to the ears of Gator fans, which is Andrew Nemhard announcing he is coming back to school for his sophomore year. And Chris, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise when he said he was going in into the draft to test the waters, uh, but it seems ultimately the feedback he got was not not the right time to leave school. Well, you look at the, the mock drafts, and, and I mean, remember, you're talking about like what was it, 260 some people uh, put their name in this in this thing now. So uh, you looked at uh, the mock drafts, and you didn't see Andrew Nemhart showing up. He wasn't invited to the NBA Combine. He wasn't invited to the G League Combine. He did okay there, not great. I mean, I think this was more of a process for for Andrew to find out specifically um, from the people that will invariably down the line uh, give him a chance to play professionally. What what he needed to work on. Last year, uh, Andrew Nemhard was, over the course of the season, um, really, really improved his game, especially offensively, especially shooting the basketball where he stayed after a lot of practices and really worked with uh, Mike White specifically on his mechanics and what have you. And it showed up late in the season with his ability to knock down some open jumpers and finishing around the rim, which he really, really struggled with early in the season. But I think this would be good for Andrew Nemhard, obviously, to come back, to go into the season. He was a good player last year. Everyone knows that. He was. Uh, he had the ball in his hand. He started every game of point guard right from the get-go. But what I think Andrew Nemhard will be this year, uh, Adam, is uh, the leader of the team. Um, he really uh, came out of his shell, I think, later in, uh, in the latter part of the seasons. And while it was Kavarius Hayes' team, Andrew Nemhard uh, was was a second lieutenant right there and became a vocal guy. And I think from the moment this team gathers in the locker room this offseason, 
uh, when they all report back for summer B, I think Andrew Nemhart is in control of the team, not just with the ball in his hands, but I'm talking about directing traffic, directing that locker room, and uh, kind of setting the tone for for work ethic. And uh, that's a that, that's a good thing because um, he's got a little bit of an alpha male kind of uh, killer in him. And that's something that I think has been missing from this basketball team, even from some of the from some upperclassmen the, the last couple of years. I mean, uh, as good as Chris Chioza was, Chris Chioza wasn't a um, he was a leader, but he wasn't like a, a over the top vocal kind of guy who was going to go up someone's backside. I think Andrew Nemhart has a little bit a little bit of that in him, and because of what he achieved in his first year. He'll command that kind of respect from the locker room instantly, especially with so many um, uh, new guys coming in. He'll come back. Florida still has a, uh, uh, a hole to fill uh, scholarship-wise. They're still scouting the grad transfer market and uh, JUCO market, I believe. So there may be some news down the line on that. Or Mike White may opt to live with the, uh, the situation he has, specifically in the front court, and maybe hold that scholarship for next year. But that's a conversation for a different podcast, but Florida should be delighted that Andrew Nemhard's back and they will be a much, much better team because of it. While we're on the topic of basketball, so the SEC meetings were this weekend down in uh, in Destin, and that's just where a lot of things get decided that are kind of uh, the, the nuts and bolts stuff that a lot of that fans mostly don't hear about. But the coaches all come together, the ADs represented there, and they make some decisions about what's going to happen next year. And one of those that came out this week, Chris, is about the scheduling for the SEC. Yeah, and I think we talked um, last podcast or maybe the podcast before that. I get all our podcasts mixed up out of this <laughs> about, the, uh, about the non-conference schedule, but we're talking SEC schedule. And, of course, every year Florida plays home and has permanent opponents and plays home and uh, road games against uh, Kentucky, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. And they always are assigned uh, uh, two other um, wildcard teams to play home and home and on the road. And this year it's going to be LSU and it's going to be Ole Miss. They'll mm-hmm. play at home against both those teams. And LSU should be, in a, be a good team. Obviously, uh, they waged uh, three fantastic games last year. If you remember the double overtime game uh, at, in Baton Rouge, you remember the Jalen Hudson's incredible 33-point game on senior night, and of course the Andrew Nemhard uh, dagger three-pointer in the SEC tournament. So we get two more of those uh, next year, while uh, LSU lost uh, a couple good players early entry into the NBA in Nasri and Tremont Waters. They'll, they'll have a good team coming back and some and some good players coming back, and certainly that'll be an ongoing storyline with what's going on with uh, their coach and what have you. But uh, Florida will be home against Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, and Mississippi State. Those are the home games. And away, they'll have uh, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. So the schedule coming a little bit more into focus. Now we just need to find out when those games are going to be. But also, Florida still has not learned, nor has any other team, the SEC Big 12 game. Should end up like I like I think we talked about. You could be some could be Texas mm-hmm. or Texas Tech. Either one of those would be a highly attractive matchup, and that game will be in Gainesville. So wait on word on that. Wait on word on who they'll play down in Sunrise, and I think that'll uh, fill out the Florida basketball schedule once we get all those dates solidified, which probably come around sometime in uh, August. Moving on to the PAT for this week, uh, it's inspired by the start of the NBA Finals and the Golden State Dynasty. That's looking likely to continue unless the Raptors can do something about it. And I think there's a lot of people around the country who'd like to see that dynasty end, regardless of who ends it. Uh, And it got us thinking about what are some dynasties throughout history that have driven you crazy and you've been so anxious to see come to an end. So 
Uh, I'll pose that question to you guys right now. What dynasty really was grinding your gears at some point in your lifetime? Well, I know there's a lot of NBA fans that will probably want to strangle me, but um, I'm glad LeBron James isn't in the NBA Finals. Hmm. I might have rooted against Michael Jordan some. Um, I never disliked him. Just the LeBron histrionics and stuff uh, and the posing and all that stuff gets really got on my nerves, especially during the whole Miami Heat uh, mm-hmm. little deal they had with that. But if I had to pick an irritating dynasty – I mean, the Cowboys are an easy one, the early 90s and what have you. But uh, uh, And the Yankees never, never really bothered me as, as much as maybe they did my father, I think. But the, the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 70s, hmm. um, I just wanted somebody else to win. And I remember it was Pittsburgh playing Dallas or the Dolphins. And it just, it was, it just seemed like it was always some AFC team that was going to win. It was the Raiders. But Pittsburgh was invariably always there. And I believe it started with the Franco Harris play was the one that, that that set him over the edge and sent him on the way to their championships. And as as a kid, I just they were the ones that irritated me more than more than any other team. And it's the sometimes it's those things that happen to you when you're younger that kind of stick with you over the years. But I'm sure a lot of uh, people in your generation are sick and tired of the Patriots, and I am too, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, I do respect Tom Brady because what he's done is, is unbelievable. And considering he hasn't had a bunch of great players around him all the time, but I think back to the Steelers, and it was always the same team, always the same guys. Kind of wore you down. And I remember uh, when they finally were knocked out, I think, uh, the, I think the Raiders started a little run of NSC teams winning the Super Bowl um, early in the 80s. I think that uh, – that kind of made me a little bit happier about the whole thing. But Pittsburgh Steelers, Bradshaw, that, that Steel Curtain and all that crap. And I actually went to college at USF and had a bunch of obnoxious Steelers fans um, around me also. So that probably uh, that probably didn't help the situation anymore. Yeah, well, uh, Chris and I are actually on the same page for a change uh, <laughs> with the uh, the 70 Steelers. They uh, beat Dallas uh, a couple of times, and that was my team. So when I was a real young kid, I had this hatred of the Steelers, and as I got older and looked at things differently, uh, you know, I was always a big Braves fan, and obviously the Braves were on the cusp of what another World Series title in '96. Had that two nothing lead, then Jim Larritt's homered, the Yankees uh, win the next four games, then the Yankees go on to be really the dominant franchise in baseball through the the rest of the '90s and early 2000s, and I was hoping the Braves were going to be that one. <laughs> So without question, the Steelers as a kid, the Yankees in my, uh, I guess, 20s. And and most recently, I'm kind of like a lot of other people. I'm kind of tired of Golden State. But I don't know if there's anybody I'd rather. I I like Toronto as a story because this is the first time that they're in the NBA Finals. So uh, it's an interesting story. But I also have kind of come to like Steph Curry Mm. because he's such a unique player. So I'm not quite on the uh, uh, anti-Golden State bandwagon like I was when I was younger on the Steelers and the anti-Yankees bandwagon. So if they win again, I'm not going to lose any sleep like Chris is. Yeah, this is a tough call, but I think, Chris, uh, you hit it on earlier. For me, it's not even just the Patriots. It's the city of Boston. I am tired of the city of Boston winning everything. I didn't even realize until a couple nights ago that the Bruins were in the Stanley Cup Finals. And I said, oh, of course they are. Uh, Boston's winning everything these days. So I'm ready for not only the Patriots, but for Boston in general to stop winning every championship. Uh, and let's spread the wealth a little bit more, if, if that's okay. Did you okay. see the, a couple of weeks ago on ESPN, they, didn't they show a kid who was holding up a sign? 
13 years old, 17 championships or something like that. Just, you know, come on, make some, it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't I don't want to read that sign, but I do want to read is all of the coverage that you guys have going up on floridagators.com this week. Uh, traveling the United States with Gator teams. Chris is in Oklahoma City. We'll bring you all the coverage from softball. Scott in Lubbock, Texas. He has baseball down pat. So make sure to check him out at floridagators.com and on Twitter at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Gentlemen, thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. Few softball programs can boast as many legends in the circle as the Gators, with names ranging from Stacey Nelson to Hannah Rogers to Lauren Hager and more. But no sentence about that elite group will ever be spoken again without Kelly Barnhill's inclusion, with the Marietta, Georgia native now claiming numerous records previously held by that pantheon of greats. We had the chance to speak to Kelly shortly after the Gators arrived in OKC to look back on her career and assess how far she's come but began by discussing the circumstances surrounding Florida's heart-pounding victory over the Vols. Yeah, yeah, we always like to do things uh, the exciting way, you know, in games. <laughs> so you never have an easy Super Regional. All the teams are just so good, especially when we played SEC teams the last four years. So I don't think there there really wasn't a moment for me during the game where I was like, I was, I was scared our season was going to be over. I was like, I have complete faith on our team that someone's going to step up and get it done right here. It was so amazing about how Jamie came up in that moment. It was just so cool. Anytime you get that kind of energy in a stadium, everyone's on their toes, and you're just like, what's going to happen? And then all of a sudden, the hit of the bat, and everyone just goes crazy wild and runs out. and It's so fun. You mentioned that the challenge of playing an SEC team again in Super Regionals, which is now every year of your career you've had to do that. Are there more advantages or disadvantages to that in your experience? I think as a pitcher, maybe it's a little bit more of a disadvantage, but it also works in favor of our hitters too because they've seen the other pitchers more. Um, but I mean, in this day and age, everyone has video on everyone, so it doesn't really like they're still they, they still know what you have. They still have the scouting reports and everything. But playing an SEC team, like some girls on that team have probably seen me, you know, for three years already. It makes it a little bit more of a challenge if you played like a pack team or something. Might have seen me once in the last four years or something. Going back to to Saturday night, I remember watching Coach Walton at the press conference, and he seemed kind of uh, up in the air as to whether or not you'd be able to pitch physically. Were you going to be able to go? And I know there was a lot of work that went in on, on your part to make that happen on Sunday. So can you talk about just what the process is like for you from the time Saturday night's game ends around 10 o'clock until 2 o'clock Sunday, what you had to do to get ready to pitch again? Well, on my end, there was no, like, it wasn't like I wasn't going to be able to pitch. I just didn't know what direction at that time that Coach Walton would want to take, um, especially since he didn't bring E into the Saturday game. I was like, oh, I don't know, is he going to be saving E for Sunday? I, I, I just wasn't sure about that. Um, but I got a text from him uh, late Saturday night, and he was like, hey, are you okay? Like, how are you, is your body okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, coach, I'm good. I, I, I got together with Katie after the game. I had my shoulder worked on, got it cupped, um, and then I went home. I, I brought the whole Normatec system home with me. I normatized my legs for 45 minutes. I normatized my arms for 35 minutes. And then when I got there in the morning, I went back to Katie. You know, right. Katie pretty much is like keeps us together. Um, <laughs> so then I got my arms stretched, got a heating pad on it, just got it ready to go. Honestly, I felt better on Sunday than I did on Saturday. Watching the game on TV, 
it's hard to have an appreciation for the kind of heat that you guys were playing. And every time they said it, it was almost a, a wow moment to realize what you and, and even the fans there are going through. For you, is that just something you guys are conditioned for and, and it's no sweat, pardon the pun, or does it present additional challenges when you're in literally 100-degree weather? I can tell you that it was a lot hotter for the pitchers and the catchers on Saturday than it was on Sunday. Really? When we had to be the, whole, the, when we had to be the visiting team, and going into that visiting team bullpen, that thing is hot as all get out. Wow. The concrete just absorbs the heat. There's no breeze. It was probably about, it was probably like 20 degrees cooler on the field than it was in that bullpen. Oh, geez. Um, and then going back to Sunday, going back in our nice covered bullpen area in the shade, a nice breeze coming through. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot nicer warming up. But I guess, honestly, it didn't feel like it was 100 degrees when I was out there on the field. I just felt like we were just being really efficient with pitches. Our defense was making good plays and getting out. But I didn't feel like we were out there very long. So in game three, obviously seventh <laughs> inning comes and the home run happens and really changes things. And then after that, you immediately settle back in and, and didn't give up another base runner. What was that like for you in that moment? Following that home run, how do you get back to that point where you're okay and, and you're back on cruise control? I think that's kind of just like the culmination of the last three years of my experiences because um, there have been points in time when I was younger and previous seasons where I might have had that home run and then, you know, the wheels might have come off and I've had a walk, another hit or something. But at that point in time, kind of my mentality was, okay, I missed that pitch. It's not like she hit my best pitch. I missed that pitch. That was right over the plate. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, we're just going to go after these batters right here. I'm going to throw my best pitches to my best spot and let my defense work. Um, so I think, honestly, as bad as it sounds, the home run might have been the, the best situation that had happened rather than some girl coming up and getting a triple or a double or getting on base like that way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the announcers has called, one of the announcers before has called um, a home run sometimes a rally killer. Because, you know, but I felt, I was like, okay, fine. Coach Walton come out. He's like, okay, you're good right here. Reset, get it done. And um, flush what just happened. There's no one on base. Completely new inning right here. That's kind of what I was thinking to myself. Well, and, and you sort of touched on this question with, with, with what you just said, but I'm curious, I mean, looking overall at where you are now relative to when you got to Florida, how do you feel like you've grown the most as a player? I just think that, the mental approach to the game has changed so much. Um, the way how you approach batters, how you go about throwing your pitches. You just, you're not just throwing the ball, you're actually pitching. Like my freshman year, I barely shook any pitches off, but sometimes now I'll like, hey, like, I think I can get this girl on this pitch. I'm like, I went inside to her and up, and now she's looking up. So now I can go down and away, and I think I'll get her. Um, of course, Coach Bosch does a lot of that too, um, but sometimes as a pitcher, sometimes you have to trust your gut instinct and go with what you think is best. In terms of off the field, how do you think you've grown the most personally from freshman year to senior year? I think for me personally, I've just gotten a lot better with interpersonal relationships and connecting with people. Um, I guess if you ask a lot of people coming in my freshman year, I was kind of awkward and, you know, sometimes I didn't have a good feel for situations, you know, mm-hmm. you're like awkward situation. You say like the wrong thing at the wrong time. <laughs> and everyone's like, really? Come on. <laughs> So I've definitely gotten better over that the years and really working on developing relationships with teammates because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You don't have those relationships. You don't have a, well, first of all, your teammates are family, but, mm-hmm. and you have to be around them all the time. So you want to have a good relationship with them. But even on the field, if you don't have a good relationship with your teammates on the field, 
how are you going to trust them to have your back and how do they trust you to have your back? So I think that's something really vital. When you came in, do you remember which teammates you looked up to the most? Who were the upperclassmen that set the tone for you and helped show you the way? For me, it was definitely Aubrey, Aubrey Monroe. She was such a phenomenal player, and she just held herself with such poise and confidence, and she just played the game the right way. Um, after she graduated, I was still able to continue playing with her when I was on the USA national team, continued to learn from her experiences. Looking on the flip side of that now, in terms of the players who you've had an impact on as you become an upperclassman, which younger players do you think you've had the most impact on? Well, I'd like to say the pitchers. I, I would hope that at the end of the day, I've been able to impact them positively um, as I had like Alicia and Delaney and just kind of help continue to spread the knowledge of how we play Florida softball and how to go up there confidently and how to deal with failure too. Um, I, that's a lot of things that everyone's like, winning's so great. Yeah, winning's great. But, you know, it's how you deal with adversity that really shows who you are as a character and who you are as a team. And I have shared stories with, like, Elizabeth. I'm like, you know, my freshman year, we were at Auburn. I was like, yeah, my freshman year, I gave up three home runs. I think two of them were back-to-back. Just, like, sharing, like, everyone goes through, everything one goes through a slump. Everyone doesn't have their best stuff some days. It's just how you push through and how you grow and how you learn through those experiences. You mentioned the work that you've done this year with, with Coach Bosch, and obviously for the previous three years, you were working with Coach Rocha, and that's been a little bit of a different dynamic your final season. So what have you learned from Coach Bosch that was maybe a little bit different? How have they complemented each other in terms of adding to your overall knowledge base? Yeah, um, it's been really great working with Coach Bosch this last year. We think very similarly. We're both very, like, numbers, stats-oriented, like, this is what we did last time. This is how we could do it this time. A lot of informational-based. Uh, Rocho, I guess, more in the bullpen, so it's a little bit more emotional and had more of that kind of connection. But I just, like, love the way that Coach Bosch approaches the game, um, especially in bullpens. Everything has a purpose. It's, okay, why do you want to do this? It's like, because this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Perfect. Let's do it. Or, okay, my rise ball is, is more screwing than rising. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that doing? So it's because I hit somebody. I'm like, okay, great. How do I fix that? He's like, oh, okay, you just fix it by doing this, you know? <laughs> very, very practical, I guess. Very, very logistical. Very practical. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I like things. I'm like, we have a clear set out path, have a plan. Um, that's what I really loved about our fall, actually, is that he literally gave us a notebook. And every week we'd have a plan, a pitching plan. It's like, okay, we're going to work on speed today. We're going to work on spin today. We're going to mix all the pitches. Um, and that's something that I really like because I like planning out my week and figuring out what exactly I'm going to work on each day. Looking back over your career, and I know there's probably an answer to this that hasn't happened yet that you'd like to, but thinking about your best memories on the field, what moments, games stand out to you? One of the biggest, one of, one of the more exciting ones was when we, when my, my class first made it to the Women's College World Series and we beat Alabama in the third game at home especially since we hadn't made it the year before. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first time that we were going to be able to go and play on that stage. Heck, last year, too. Yeah. Last year <laughs> was so exciting, too. It's, you know, the walk-off from Jordan Matthews. And just being in those high-pressure environments, you feel the pressure, but you don't feel the pressure. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, mm-hmm. you know it's there, but you're just living in the moment. You're just, like, you're so excited. You're so pumped that you don't even think about the pressure anymore. <laughs> 
Do you have like a strikeout you remember? You have about 1,300 of them. But is there any like one <laughs> batter you were just so anxious to get that you got that you still remember? I guess my the, the most recent one that I've gotten like really excited about was when we played in the SEC tournament and that last strikeout against KB Sunrise to win the SEC championship. That was probably one of my favorite strikeouts that I can remember right now. Um, I guess it's probably more because it's more fresh. Mm-hmm. But I didn't exactly know what was going to happen, but I was like, I'm going at this batter. No matter what happens, I'm finding a way to get this girl out. I just really zoned in on that pitch and let it go, and everything you know, just happened perfectly. <laughs> Well, and, and there was also in that moment, I remember watching the game and, and they've said this is a more emotion than we're used to seeing from Kelly Barnhill. Yeah, I mean, you could tell you were excited about that strikeout. I, I know sometimes coaches talk about taking emotion out of the equation. And earlier in your career, you maybe showed less of it. How do you find that balance between the execution and being measured, but also showing emotion when, when, when you're feeling it? It's a, it's a hard catch 22 for pitchers, I think. We're in an awkward kind of situation, you know, especially like when you do bad, you're not supposed to show up, but you're also like, you're not a robot. So like give it a home run. Well, yeah, that sucks, but you can't go and pout. You can't be, you can't like show that the other team's getting to you. Mm -hmm. Also it's like getting to, for me, I can't get too high. If I get too high, I'm excited. I try to overthrow things. So like I figured out that for me, like I have to take a middle road. So we, we talked about it. You probably heard it talked about a lot is our height number. My height number is probably like a three or four-ish, very middle of the road, you know. And I feel like I, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go at this batter, but I'm not like, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to get her. I think that's just really important when, like, I think about, like, pitching and emotion. Yeah, I'm never going to be one of those, like, jumping up and down, but I'm not going to, like, be their stone face. I think I think it's just not something I think about anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, I'm just going to let it happen and leave my heart out on the field. So mm-hmm. that means now that I'm going to show more emotion than I have in the past, then so be it. But um, I'm leaving it all out there. You talked earlier about teammates being like family. And, you know, there's always good stories from family road trips, which essentially you guys do you know, seven, eight times a year. So looking back at, I'm sure, a ton of those, what are some memories from being with your teammates or a funny story that you remember from being on the road? Um, Alex Voss is really good, you know, singing on the action, thing on the bus. Yeah, I've seen that. Uh, she'll give you a good little number. Have you seen that? I've seen that a few times on uh, on the Gator Softball Instagram. <laughs> yeah, she's, a, she's our singer. <laughs> Every team needs at least one. Exactly. <laughs> so you guys have fun. That's, And I'm, I'm sure you have fun when you have time outside of softball as well. So when you do get those moments, although I know they're few and far between, what are some things you enjoy doing in your free time? I love like going out and trying to do things and explore. I went strawberry picking with some of the girls. Uh, we went blueberry picking. I like baking. So the, the strawberries and the blueberries, I used to make stuff. I made like a really cool blueberry pie. Mm. Um, and for the strawberries, I cut up, I'm, cut them up and put them some sugar on them and made a homemade angel food cake. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I like baking. It's just, it really relaxes me. Like when I'm stressed out, I'm like, and I don't want to do homework and I don't want to clean. I'm like, okay, I'm going to bake. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny because for a lot of people, so. cooking is the opposite and that's what makes them nervous. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't like cooking. Not cooking, cooking, just baking. Just baking. Okay. There's something about cooking that's like, I think it's what cooking is for me. is like, you have to add things at certain times. You have to like move it around. You have to do whatever. Baking you throw it in the oven. Of course, you have to decorate it afterwards, but right. you don't have to constantly poke and prod at it. I don't. This, so. this has changed my whole perspective. I always thought cooking and baking were the same, but you've made it very clear now that those are different things. 
Yes. I don't really like cooking. Cooking's a lot of effort for me. <laughs> so at this stage, once the College World Series is over, regardless of, of what your fate is there, uh, you will be done with your time as a Gator, which I'm sure is, is a lot to, to kind of process. But as you look toward the future, what is next for you? What is beyond the University of Florida? Well, we're never truly done being a Gator, you know? Very we're true. always a Gator for life, but especially since I'll be continuing working on my master's degree, so I will not be done. I will okay. still be doing school, <laughs> but my degree is thankfully all online, so I'm going to be heading to Chicago to play for the Chicago Bandits this summer, mm-hmm. um, and that literally starts as soon as we're done with the World Series. I'm going to go home, pack up the rest of my room, um, and then head to Chicago. And what are your expectations for playing in the NPF in terms of how ready you are for that challenge, how much different that level of competition is going to be? I'm really excited. I think it'll be fun. Um, I know a lot of girls on my team are going to play with Greeley again, and that'll be really fun. Hmm. Um, some of the other girls on my team that I've played with when I've been on the uh, national team, at least a handful of the players, maybe five or six. Um, so it'll be really nice to be with them again as well. And honestly, I think considering like what we're coming out of I think a lot of the college players are going to be more ready than anything for the NPF. We've been seeing live at-bats. We've been getting live batters. We've been playing games, which some of these NPF players might not have had the chance to be doing. Mm-hmm. When you go to college, you're like, oh, these are the best of the best players. But when you go to the NPF, this is like, this is the best of the best. This is the top 25 players every single year that come onto a team. Mm-hmm. This is like facing the cleanup batter every single time you're at bat. Right. Like, these are these star players on on the best teams. Um, so it's going to be a challenge, but I think it's a challenge that I'm, I'm ready for and I'm excited for. Well, then from that point, a lot of those best players make up the national team, and we're not that far off from Tokyo in 2020. So how much does that get into your thinking about what the future holds? Yeah, the thing about the future, it's just it's not very set right now for me. I honestly don't have a lot of plans past the summer. A lot of my plans in the future hinge on making that national team. There's going to be a tryout in either late September, early October, and whether I make it or not determines my plans for the next six to nine months. Honestly, all I can do right now for that is just keep playing high-level softball and doing my best on the field. Taking softball out of the equation, I know you're, you're very studious. You've been an academic All-American multiple times. What would you like to do outside of softball going forward? That's another one of those question marks. Um, <laughs> when someone's asked me and I've had to like choose, you know, stuff for class, like I guess the job I've always chosen is um, working as a foreign service officer at a U.S. embassy overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be so cool. I love traveling. Um, I would love the opportunity to live overseas and be able to serve my country and being able to be part of a diplomatic team. The position I'm more looking to and if I were to go that route right out of college, would probably be um, working as kind of the go-between between the embassy and the local government and the local culture. Hmm. So it's like it's pretty, it works really well with my degree of public relations because you're working on bridging that gap of the two um, cultures and the two countries. That's really cool. That's a very different answer I think, than I've ever gotten before to that question. So thank you for bringing something <laughs> fresh to the table here. A <laughs> couple final things for you. Going back to Oklahoma City now for a third straight year, what do you take from your past experiences to help you this time around? And how important is having that experience to being successful there? I think having the experience is um, very key to being successful in Oklahoma City. 
the first time you get here, you, you get there and you're so excited. You know, you're like, wow, there's a lot going on. And your heart starts, you know, racing a little bit. You're like, this is the biggest stage of softball right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what we're doing. All eyes are on us. And I think after each game, each time you're out there on that field, you get a little more comfortable. You get a little more used to it. I think all the experiences, the highs and the lows, have really shaped how we play and how we approach the game at this point. We know we've, we've been in situations, we've played seven hit innings here and lost. Sure. All of those experiences will help us. Final question for you. There's always a lot of storylines at the College World Series, and certainly a lot of people are talking about Coach Walton against Coach Gasky, your former assistant coach. <laughs> and then if, let's say, Beyond that, you could also potentially face Coach Rocha in the other dugout. How weird is that going to be for you, and, and how much does that enter your mind? Honestly, it doesn't really enter my mind. I mean, like, you know them, and you say hi after the game, before the game, give them a little wave, give them a hug after the game. But during the game, it's all business. It doesn't matter what personal ties or connections you have. Um, you're just going in, and doesn't matter who you're playing across. They're the enemy at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I don't think, like uh, Coach Walden said this earlier, he's like, yeah, I have personal ties with all these people. But when you step across the field, it's go time. Mm-hmm. Well, we certainly hope that uh, go time is good for you and the Gators this week in Oklahoma City. Uh, regardless of what happens, congratulations on a great career, and thank you so much for talking to us about it. Well, of course. Thank you so much, and go Gators. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Head to FloridaGators.com for info on all of this week's action, and make sure you come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.